Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Uh, I guess there's only really two takeaways from the Flyers' season so far. Hooray! Carter Hart! Boo! Power play! Um, and that's it. That's all the time we have for you on B... <laughs> oh, no, no. We still have a whole show to get to. Uh, there's a lot going on since we last spoke, so let's get right into it. Let's lead things off with... The fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I was going to make a hockey take, but nah. I mean, why would I do that on this show? Uh, they opened a Tim Hortons in New Jersey. Ooh. And today I decided to drive there and get a donut and an iced cap. And I did that. But now I have like a four-year-old sugar high and I feel really weird. So this might be another <laughs> weird show for me. I just thought everybody should know that ahead of time. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. Shocked that, that Kelly Hinkle just had to get something Canada related. I had to. Shocked. I'm glad that you've been able to act out this sugar high while we've been uh, starting and restarting the show three times. Uh, it's it's been. I'm glad it's been going well for you. The door handles are hockey the donut. I okay. So I wanted a Canadian maple donut, which is, in my opinion, the goat donut at a Tim Hortons. If you don't know what it is, it's essentially a Boston cream donut, but instead of chocolate on the top, it's a maple glaze. It rules. That's all that I wanted. When I got there, there was a line around the entire building. It was absolutely fucking packed at like 9.45 a.m. on a Thursday, just packed with people. And there were literally like three assorted donuts in the donut case. Like they were all gone. And I'm standing here in this line like, did I drive a half an hour to get a Canadian maple watching, donut? And there are watching no them dissipate. <laughs> There's two Canadian maples left. I watch one of them get taken. Like five people in front of me. There goes the last one. And I'm like, oh my God. I drove a half an hour. I waited in this line for half an hour. All I wanted was this one single donut. And I'm not going to get the donut. Anywho, long story short. Yeah. Um, they put more Canadian maple donuts out. Only those kind of donuts. So I got the donut that I want. And uh, now I'm uh, jittery as fuck. So where's where is this Timmy Hose? Something called Stratford, New Jersey, which okay. I had never heard of until today. Everything in New sounds, Jersey is the same fake. to me. Every road is called either Black Horse or White Horse Pike. Everything looks the same. And all of it's our in, horses are brown. Yeah, it's in New Jersey. So I in that New area. Jersey, do you yeah. know? I'll have yeah. to. Yes, oh. I'll have to. I'll have to check it out soon. But like after the after the new hype dies down, I can't be waiting in line. I don't do. It's lines. wild. I I just it's wild to me. Like I didn't I didn't expect it to be such a big fucking deal. <laughs> they had a Tim Hortons up near where my dad lives before there was one in Philly, in the Philly area. I'm not surprised. They kind of it seemed like were working their way once they got bought by an American company and they started making inroads into not Buffalo, 
it seemed like they were just kind of working their way south. So North Jersey, I'm not surprised. Speaking of Ryan O'Reilly, oh no, wait, that was on the previous edition <laughs> of this show. <laughs> From theAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. So I'm going to point something out that I don't. I think people have kind of been hesitant to point out about the Flyers over the last few weeks because he is quite a popular player on this team. Um, I need I need more from Joel Farabee. Gotta say, need more from Joel Farabee over the last, like, three weeks or so. Haven't really got much. I think he has one goal, and that's it. He had that great start to the year where I think he had two points in each of the first three games. He's kind of done nothing since. And not only that, like, there are some guys where, when they're not scoring, they're doing other stuff. Joel Farabee really ain't doing other stuff. He's just kind of getting buried in the defensive zone, regardless of what line he's on. I need more from him. The Flyers need more from him after giving him the Andrew McDonald contract this offseason, oh, uh, which I will always say because I, I love the fact love the fact that he got the Andrew McDonald contract. Um, oh, I forgot actually that he got the the AMAC. He got the AMAC. He sure did. Um, I still believe in the talent. I think he'll figure it out. But the Flyers just need more from him. You know, they're not scoring that many goals, and they expected Joel Farabee to be a big part of the secondary scoring, possibly to the point where he became the primary scoring, and. I don't think they can afford to have him, you know, be a streaky player in the sense where, you know, he's good for three or four games and then disappears. They, they, they need him to be more consistent. And just want to point out that, you know, if you're going to complain about the lack of goal scoring, you got to point out that one of the more popular young players in the team is a big part of that lack of goal scoring. Sorry, Charlie. I only criticize players that I decided previously that I don't like ah. for capital R reasons. Gotcha. Gotcha. And as such, I cannot criticize Joel Farabee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like there's and there's streaky, as we say, all goal scorers are streaky unless your name is Alex Ovechkin, who's been on, you know, a decade long streak at this point. <laughs> um, like there's a difference between that sort of streaky and three games with a goal straight and then nothing for a month. Like, that's just not playing well. That's not streaky. It's just being not that good. He needs to be a lot better. I think he's got it in him. I think he'll be fine. It's just kind of a thing young guys go through. But he's got to pick it up. This team's averaging under two goals a game for the last, you know, seven, eight games. He's got to be a lot better. He's a huge part of this offense. Last but certainly not least, Steph Licious D, Steph Driver. So... I didn't think that it was possible for an organization to be so inept that they actually, like, destroy a hockey player. Um, and I gotta say, after the, the start that Rasmus Ristolainen had, um, I, I wasn't very hopeful, but now, as he settled into the new system... Um, I know it's still very early in the season, but I think Buffalo may have been the problem the whole time. Maybe. It's Maybe. it's it's possible. I mean, I think we'll we'll get more into wrist line later, but um, you know, obviously over the last uh and me I don't know, we can we if we want to have this debate now, we can have it now. I, I think the last five games he's been great. I think he's been objectively really speaking great. Um, and if he continues that, that's awesome. And, you know, we'll have to really dive into what's changed from his time in Buffalo, uh, in terms of, you know, his style of play, what he's doing, what he's not doing, uh, versus Philly. That said, I mean, 
it's five games. You know, I I know that you know in Philadelphia we treat every game like it's an Eagles game. So one game is a really big deal. Five games is might as well be like a season. Um, my thing with Rich Lyon is that we have eight years of time of him being a objectively poorly performing hockey player and we have five games of him being a objectively well like strong performing hockey player so i just want to wait a little bit you know we'll see if he keeps this up so far it looks promising you know the early season struggles very easily could be you know attributed to the fact that he's getting used to a new system he's getting used to a new team he's getting used to a new partner um and maybe now he's just gonna roll and if he does and he missed he missed the first couple games yeah, he missed the first he couple working games. his way back in yeah. and all that we we there are reasons for things to have happened the way they did but yes, i yes. don't think any i don't think anybody after the first couple games was like oh well so much for your fucking analytics redhead <laughs> like <laughs> and then you know all of a sudden i got a couple of calls on the last post game like so how's charlie dealing with wrist line i'm like you realize numbers are agnostic right like Charlie just looks at the like charlie has seen fucking rasmus wrist line in play he was not good in buffalo no He's been good the last week or two. I'm happy about it. I was hopeful the guy Everyone could turn things happy. around. Yeah, like that's the we all want him to be good because like the Flyers that's what gave we up want. the Flyers gave up a fucking first round pick for him. He better be good. He yeah, has I mean, there, been. Somebody somebody made a good point on Twitter where it was basically that like okay, we generally agreed that Rasmus Ristolainen didn't play well at the beginning of the year and his analytics were trash. We all generally agree that Rastor Stalin over the last two weeks has played really well and his analytics are good. It's almost like analytics are a reflection of how someone is actually playing. Yeah, so I mean, if his analytics were facts. bad in Buffalo, he probably was bad in Buffalo. Hmm. <laughs> they just tell you, they're just numbers. It's, it's si- just it, counting assi- things. Yeah, it assigns a numerical value to the things that happened on the ice. Like, it ain't that fucking difficult to wrap your head around. But we'll get into Ristolin and... We'll get into Ristolainen and in the defense when we have the Ellis. There's a lot of things to get into with this team. Uh, I just real quick want to get into the alumni game, the Hall of Fame induction. What's up, Steph? Really quick. Really quick. Was before, that a really long arm hair that. or was it your sweater? It's so my ah, hair okay. tie was on my arm and I'm pulling hair out of there. Um, Sorry, I got really distracted thinking Steph's about it. Did you ever see the movie Gattaca? Did you ever yes. see the movie Gattaca? No. Yes. All I wait, wait, about b- b- back, back up for a second here. Steph seen Gattaca. Steph, so, okay, so Steph, Steph, yeah. the person who doesn't see yeah. any movies, sees this obscure <laughs> yeah. movie. Gattaca. You're gonna reference an obscure movie. <laughs> you got some nerve, Steph. Time out. Just I watched it. it in high school. <laughs> like for a class? Like they they made us watch oh. it in class when we were learning about genes and DNA. Okay. But anyway, sometimes all I think about is how much DNA I'm just leaving everywhere because I shed like crazy. And that was all I could think about. And I couldn't remember the point I was trying to make at Charlie. God bless. About the, the, the computer boys. So people think that Broad Street Hockey is like super analytical. And when they want to like attack the computer boys, it's like Broad Street Hockey and all of their people. Like. I I need you guys to get really clear about something. You're mad at Charlie. (laughs) And Charlie writes for The Athletic. At Charlie O'Connor. Leave me on. (laughs) Charlie is on the Broad Street Hockey podcast, 
But you're mad at Charlie. You're not mad at Broad Street Hockey. Like, Broad, let's, yeah. Broad I never, is- ever like to separate those things because I think it makes both of us stronger when we just pretend like we're all one big thing. However, leave me out of this. <laughs> like, please stop no, being mad that, at me. You know, for it's being that a fucking, computer boy that, when you're mad at Charlie. It's that fucking Maddie Campbell and her agenda. God, <laughs> Brad Keffer, that dude. Some he told me Vorobiev was good. Can't ever trust him again. Fuck Vorobiev. All right, so uh, yeah, at Charlie o- Ocon. I think there's an underscore in there. Like you're mad at uh-huh. Charlie. Just be mad at Charlie. <laughs> Leave me out of it. So I want to talk about the alumni game and the Hall of Fame stuff real quick. Uh, Kelly and I had a pretty damn good time at Monday's Hall of F- or alumni game. Good to see Eric Lindros out there. I he could still give you a third pair. Like defensive minutes, I I guarantee it. He could do it. Uh, but it's uh, it was. I I mean, Kelly, how many people would you say were at the alumni game? Uh, it was. It seemed like about three fourths of the lower bowl was full. I yeah, was, that that's about it, right. It yeah. was a pretty sparse crowd, and uh, they the kinda, stuff they didn't do a great job. I just. I saw a lot of people comparing it to, uh, you know, like the Lindros and the Claire Hall of Fame ceremonies and the uh, the outdoor game, alumni yeah. game. Um, listen, Holmgren and Tockett, uh, let us praise them, but let us not confuse them with Lindros and LeClaire. And let yeah. us not confuse a random Monday in November with uh, New Year's Eve at Citizens Bank Park. Like, yeah. those were events. These were poorly promoted promotions. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's that's the the real key thing here is that like this whole thing did have the sense that it was just kind of thrown together. Um, yeah, that like it wasn't it wasn't planned terribly well. Um, I don't think that was like some nefarious conspiracy. I just don't think it was planned very well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, if you remember when they first threw the tickets out there for the alumni game, they were charging, they were, full like, price. They were charging full prices if it was it a was regular ins- season game. Insane. And, and, and the thing was that, that, that had a double issue because number one, the prices were too high to start when you launched the thing, when you had the most excitement. So a lot of people were just like, I'm not paying, you know, 80 bucks for a ticket for this. This is nuts. This isn't even a real game. Um, but then they in- invariably lowered the price. And then the people that did get tickets at the high price were like, hey, what the hell? I paid $80 for these tickets. And now you drop them to 30 So, like, there was just a lot with this, you know, and going all the way into, you know, having the, the ceremony for, for Holmgren and, and talk at 6.30 before a game. It just, like, there was just a lot of mistakes that were made that mm-hmm. could have made this bigger. And I think a bigger deal. Now, I agree with you 100% that, like, you know, Rick Tockett and Paul Holmgren don't have the same excitement level as, you know, um, Lindros and LeClaire. Like, Two-thirds of the fucking Legion of Doom, like yeah, one of the most like, iconic yeah, players like, in franchise history. I mean, Holmgren, Holmgren's a legend. He's he's had every single position, yeah. basically, in this organization. There's arguably no one that screams Philadelphia Flyer more, except maybe, like, Bobby Clark, and that's about it. Um, but, you know, it's not like there's people that are thinking back to, like, you know, their childhood was defined by Paul Holmgren the way that 
their childhood was defined by Eric Lindros. Right. So there, there, there was always going to be less excitement, but the, the Flyers could have done a much better job, I think, of planning Sorry. this rather than it just got the sense that it was just sort of like, it's, it kind of got the sense that like everyone's sort of learning on the fly how to do something like this, and there were a lot of mistakes made, and that sucks. It sucks for Holmgren, and it sucks for Tocket because it could have been, I think, more of a more of an event, and it wasn't, and that's disappointing. The uh, the ceremony being at six thirty, but the game like the puck didn't drop on the game till quarter to eight. Like yeah, it what, was what weird. What the fuck happened? Like what? And on a Tuesday, like yeah, doing like, it on a Tuesday is is weird as hell. It's if you work a regular nine to five, getting down to the Farg by six thirty. If you're coming from anywhere that isn't like directly on the Broad Street line, and it's going to be it, tough. Let's face yeah. it; like a majority, like of people are coming from South Jersey. They're coming from New Jersey. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's very. It would be very difficult to get home from work, get your shit together. God forbid you're trying to wrangle children that you're bringing to this game, yeah, right. and get there by six thirty. They really just. I mean, like like Charlie said, it did kind of seem hastily thrown together i think that they probably planned to do this for a long time but i no one i think thought it through all the way to the end like it should have been a saturday game that yeah, would have made yeah, more sense definitely would have made um more sense. they should have promoted it more during game broadcasts which they really didn't seem to do um there are a lot of things they could have done better hopefully the people who put this together the business side of the hockey thing Hopefully they learned some lessons and going forward, they'll do a better job of putting together events for the fans. But, you know, we'll see. But it did. All I wanted was for it to be on TV so that I could watch down. Have any of them, have any alumni games been on TV? I was trying to think about that and I don't know if they have. I don't think so. And I'll say. But listen. I will say. I'm far away and I wanted to watch. (laughs) I mean, listen, I get people wanting it to be on TV. Um, but like, no one was going to watch that. You turn it on for two minutes. I was going to watch. You turn it on for two minutes and go, this is old men going half speed. I don't want to watch this and put on something interesting. I do like the idea of it's like, it's a, it's a live event. Like concerts aren't on TV, uh, usually. Like, I I think this was kind of a thing for ticket holders. And Jesus, if they told you ahead of time it was going to be on TV, zero people would have paid for tickets. Like, <laughs> that's a really good yeah, point. Yeah, that's like, true. I, that's I just true. think this was kind of a live thing. I thought it was weird uh, that, like, the actual Hall of Fame ceremonies and shit weren't, like, on the on television. I mean, so, they so were. I, I, I was they curious were. about that. Was, was it on at 630? Did, I, they, did they broadcast I, it? I was there, I so I didn't know. Watched, I watched... I was... I forget why I turned it on late, but I saw all of Holmgren's. Maybe I just missed. I I turned it on late, and I understand that Tockett went first. So I can't confirm with my eyeballs that Tockett's was on television, but I did see the entirety of Paul Holmgren's. All right. And it was actually very moving. I was like a little bit like, oh, Paul. It was, <laughs> it was nice. And I, I saw people complaining that it wasn't on television, and I thought that I was like having a stroke. No offense. And because, like, I, I definitely saw it. All right. So I don't know what people I, were talking about. I joined late and just heard a bunch of people complaining. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't finish Maybe work till 7. Maybe people didn't turn so. it on early enough. Yeah. I, I, don't I, know. I think it was just that was part of it was that because it was a half an hour early, I mean, not everybody obviously goes out of their way to watch the pregame show. And this was basically yeah. just the pregame show. 
it was again it was just one of those things where communication wasn't great to the fans they probably should have you know put it during you know either at seven and just backed up the game but again if you were going to do that you'd have to work with the nhl which would have required more planning which clearly the whole issue here was that the planning wasn't great so i mean mean, look look in the end i I hope they've learned from this first off i hope they you know they continue to do these things because as we know you know, there were quite a few really, really good potential nominees that didn't get in the Flyers mm-hmm. Hall of Fame this time. So I hope this is a semi-regular thing. And if it is, I hope they take lessons from this and do it, you know, a better job um, logistically and just in terms of, of overall setup next time, so that uh, you know, so that the the people, the person or people who are not who are nominated for the the Hall of Fame next time, uh, you know, get more of a a response from the fans. I mean, at the end of the day. The people that were in the building for the game seemed to be having a very good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So no, it I mean, was, it was, it was, it was nice. not an unmitigated disaster. No. Like, it was, yeah, it was fun. No, it just could have been better. It definitely could have been better, and I hope they learned some lessons from it. I just, honestly, the only part that really annoyed me is that they did it early, and then it was still, like, 90 minutes until the game started. But whatever. Um, well, that's what happens when you have to do warm-ups. That's really yeah. what it boils down to. Fucking warm-ups. Yeah, I'm just grouchy that I couldn't watch. I was going to come home for the game, but with um, my sister-in-law being in long-term rehab after her accident, um, couldn't come up. So that sucks. Speaking of coming up, though, uh, start making plans for Festivus, December 23rd. We don't have anything planned yet, but we will hopefully by the week of Thanksgiving. The 23rd or the 27th? So, no, it's the 23rd on Festivus. Okay. Penn's game. It's going to fucking own. I'm very awesome. excited about that it. Is, that is a, that, that's really cool. All right. So uh, I, I promised the, the listeners this, that I'd start the show with this question now that we're 40 minutes in or whatever. Um, <laughs> so with, with Nicholas Albeque-Bell getting waived and ultimately claimed he's no longer with the organization, there was a lot being said about the Hextall era and uh, his specifically his drafting. You know, we kind of planned that whole era on, yeah, it's going to hurt for a little while, and then look at all these picks. You know, Hextall, he's, he's got that late-round magic. He finds guys like Limblom, you know, Carter Hart in the second round. Well, it doesn't seem to have really worked out that way. Uh, if you look at a list of the non-first-round picks that, and, uh, you know, I say all the time, a, a non-first-round pick even in the league is a victory, but uh, right now, Lindblom, who was scratched last game, and Carter Hart, who was a second-round pick and the best goalie in his draft, outside of those two, the Flyers have zero of Ron Hextall's non-first-round picks contributing at the NHL level. And that's just not great. Like, we talk about this team's depth and, you know, where it is a lot of the time. And that's where it's supposed to be. But they have to claim guys like Patrick Brown off waivers because they don't really have that depth. However, Carter Hart has been absolutely phenomenal this year. Everything we could ask from the franchise goaltender and more. He's had at least 30 saves in 8 of 10 games, at least a 900 save percentage. 900 save percentage in every start since the opener. So with all that said, if Hart is back and he really is that dude, was Hextall's tenure worth it? Maybe. I feel like 
I I don't know. I am I am extremely <sighs> tired of the relitigating of the Hextall era. I mean, I I get it. People. I mean, have this to have, is just the litigating. People have to have it's something to yell. No, no, people have something yeah. have to have something to yell about. Like that's just it, that's Flyers Twitter. But like, I don't know. It just seems so tedious. Like he got some good players. Probably the drafts weren't as good as people originally thought because prospects yes. are fun to dream on at the time. But I don't think like. I really what it boils down to with Hexall, and this is what I will always say with when it comes to Hexall's drafting, is that the make or break pick was the Patrick pick, and it didn't go well. But like that, like when 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 you say that when you say that Hexall was a bad drafter, really, I think he was a fine drafter. I don't think he was a fantastic drafter. I don't think he dramatically was better than average. But I also think that people overrate just how many draft picks tend to pan out i think he was basically an average drafter i would say except for the fact that he had a second overall pick and missed i, I mean and so well, you, you, you if you do if you include that then yeah that overshadows everything because you're supposed to get a star at number two and he didn't but everything else like you know if you're like you're gonna miss on some first round picks you're gonna you're not gonna nail a lot of late picks but you're gonna if you nail a few and, like, also, I mean, guys like Wade Allison and Tanner Lazinski, like, I think their NHL players are just hurt right now. So, I mean, it, lo- it would look better if they were playing. Sure. And so, these, I, I guess the question that I have, the, the question that I have for Bill is, what are we even asking here? Was the Ron Hextall era worth it? Well, I mean, the, the simple answer is no, we didn't win a cup. So... Then it gets well, the a lot goal more of the Ron Hextall like, era. The goal of the Ron Hextall like, era was never to win a cup during that time. That's the thing. Well, it was about building yes something, and, no. and it was about building something for the future. And looking at the groundwork he laid, it doesn't appear to be all that strong. So I, I agree and I disagree. Um, I think that Ron Hextall really believed that he was building a cup contender. I obviously don't think that he was successful in doing so um but was it worth it um i mean the answer is no the the, being a sports fan is not worth it at any point in time (laughs) and we are all going to suffer the extreme heat death of the universe Uh, um but i i think what you're asking is a much more obscure question and that is were his draft picks worth that spot right no what i'm asking specifically as it relates to carter hart is is coming away with one star if that star is the most important position in the sport worth all of these misses and look at the list of non first round skaters. Yeah, but I, but I guess I guess my point, Bill, is that like you're saying like all of these misses, like that's drafting. You're gonna have misses. Mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're evaluating, how many hits GM, does he have? I mean, he has a decent amount of hits, probably an average amount of hits. If you're talking about the average amount of pro so, players that get and, t- they okay, get nailed and in a draft. So an average amount of hits, so they didn't have to be mediocre for seven years? Well, they had to be mediocre for quite a while because they were fucked from a cap standpoint. So, like, it wasn't wasn't like there's two options, either do the Hextall way or be good. Because they weren't going to be good because they had awful contracts on their books and they had no way of improving the team in the short term. Or be terrible 
and get better players in the draft. The higher you draft, the better chance you have of getting better players. I mean, they did, yes. They didn't either. They didn't go for it, nor did they tear it all down. Yes. This is what I'm asking. Should yes, they have but, done that? Yes, but it's it's a, it's a false... You're creating a false back and forth here because... You, what you're saying is like, well, they could have done this, but then if they would have torn it down, things would have been great. Like, look at Buffalo. That's that that that's a plausible outcome if you tear it all down. If you tear it all down, what can happen is your team becomes such a fucking shit show that it doesn't matter that you got a couple, you got a, a true superstar in Jack Eichel because the foundation is so screwed. Now it can work. You can do a tear down, and it can work. But it can also not work. So it's not like you can say, well, if they would have torn it down, things would have been great. Like, if they would have torn it down, things could have been great. If they would have torn it down, things could have been awful. It, you know, it, there's there's so many plausible outcomes when it comes to different directions you can take that I don't think you can you can look in a mirror and, and honestly be like, well, if they would have done this, everything would have been fine. Like, it would have been different. Would it have been better? Who knows? Hence the question. Gonna- That's why I want people's opinions to ask if you believe it would have been better to do it a different way, regardless of that what that way was. That's all I I'm think asking. the hex. I think the hextall way was right. I just think again, I so it goes too at it, the time. It goes. It goes back to. I think the the plan was correct. I think it could have been executed better. I, I I hate I hate to say this, and I mean I keeps going back. To, I keep going back to this, but like this was the pivot point of the thing. If you Nolan replaced Patrick. Nolan Patrick with one of Elias Pettersson, Kale McCarr, or Amira Haskinen, this team looks entirely different. They or have a superstar if, in addition to Carter Hart. Or if Nolan Patrick turned into what, if we're being honest, 98% of every hockey executive at the time thought he was going to be, this isn't a conversation. Like, okay, should... Ron Hextall, because he was in that position with the staff that he had, should they have known better? Should they have taken Pedersen or Makar or Heiskanen because of the facts at the time? I mean, maybe, but like it, no one looked at that number two. That was the whole, it was Heeshear or Patrick, like the whole time. It wasn't like he did something that every other GM wouldn't have done because they were smarter than Ron Hextall, if Nolan Patrick wasn't what he is, then obviously Ron Hextall's entire tenure was a rousing success because we've got Carter Hart and we've got a number two center for the next 15 years. But well, unfortunately... A yeah, a number one center. Well, yeah. Elias Petters is probably better than John Kateri. No, 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 no. I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm saying if Patrick had, had been oh, oh, if Patrick. what he oh, okay, was supposed okay, to okay. be. Like... That I, th- you can't really hold that against Ron Hextall. No, and that's I don't look at I don't look. At I think the you, I think you can hold it against Ron Hextall. I just I mean you know I think you can acknowledge that Patrick was the chalk pick and still say that it's a GM's job to be right. Yeah, you know, that's fair. Yes, I agree. Yeah, and that's it's a it's a thing that didn't work out and it's annoying and I'll bring it up, but I don't think. I like I kind of look at the Patrick pick as just one of those unfortunate situations. Like we'll just never know uh, if he was healthy, if he had a different mindset, whatever it might be. I'm just looking at like the sum total of everything else. They got Sanheim, Provorov, Konechny, Farabee, and Carter Hart. Really? All right. I'm like, just going to answer. Sure. I'm just going to answer your question in a direct way. Yes. Okay. Yes, it was because there it is. As Charlie, That's it. as Charlie said. The team was completely fucked from a cap standpoint. They had no picks. They had no prospects. 
And without those things, Chuck Fletcher couldn't have made the trades that he made this offseason to improve the team. Like those trades being able to happen go back to the foundation that Ron Hextall laid. Was Ron's tenure as good as we thought it was in the middle of it? No, it definitely wasn't. There's a lot of hindsight that you can do there. But if Carter Hart turns out to be the Carter Hart that we've seen over the course of the first part of this season, or even a little bit worse than that because he's been ridiculous right now, then yes, yes, definitely. I think it was worth it. Outstanding. I I actually, I agree completely. Um, And I am so sick of relitigating this Nolan Patrick pick. Uh, But the only thing that I have to say to the other people that are also really sick of relitigating the Nolan Patrick pick is that we are never going to have to deal with the JVR type situation with him. <laughs> coming <laughs> back. He's never coming back. Like, I don't think he's away. coming back. He is not coming back. He'll retire there's, there's no chance that <laughs> Nolan Patrick gives the Flyers another chance or that they give him another chance. Like, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, he did. Yeah, pretty sure that ship is sold. Um, no, but going back so to Carter You're Hart. never going to have to get over your hatred of Nolan Patrick because he's not coming back. Going back to Carter Hart for a second, um, it was funny because there's a uh, there's a commenter in my comment section of the Athletic who I I don't know if it's a bit at this point or if like he really is this angry about this stuff and just has you know is cannot help himself but comment on every single one of my articles about how the Flyers need a star and about how they'll be a joke until they have a star player and every day they go without trading for a star player is like this awful awful uh blight against you know everyone in the organization but he commented on my last article and my response is basically wouldn't it be funny if you know after all your comments about the Flyers not having a star Carter Hart finishes with a 930 save percentage wins the Vesna and you've been watching a star all along and he was like, yeah, it would be pretty funny. So <laughs> Carter Hart right now is playing like a star goalie. Yes. Now, is oh. he this good? I don't know. But, like, I think it's it's abundantly clear now that he's not the guy who played last year. Like, that isn't Carter Hart. Yeah. Nope. And I, I tend to, if Carter Hart is in, like, yeah, a 935 save percentage or whatever the fuck he has now, like, that's yeah, just... Yeah, 935 now. Yeah, like, that's Dominic Hasek bullshit. Like, that's not even real. <laughs> um, but if he's a true franchise goaltender, then I think even with the long list of misses, and look up Hextall's draft record, he, he has a, a few hits. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys who ain't here anymore and who are never going to do anything in this league. Um, it's worth it. Because franchise goaltender, as we just, like, fucking Carey Price just took a, look at Montreal right now. Like, they're two steps from Arizona, and that team just went to the Stanley Cup final. Because they had the goalie who got hot for the right number of weeks at the right time. Like, if that's what Ron Hextall gave us, despite everything else, even fucking Nolan Patrick, maybe it was worth it. Alright, I guess we should take a break. Because we're like 30 oh, yeah. minutes in and yeah. All right. Uh, quick commercial break and then we're going to talk about uh, Kevin Hayes, the offense, all sorts of shit. And then it's the Rasmus Ristolainen appreciation hour from there. So uh, stay with us through this commercial and we'll be right back. All right, fam. We are back. And uh, the Flyers, while their goaltender is keeping goals out of the net, so too is basically every goalie they've played for the last month. Uh, They haven't scored more than two goals against a netminder 
since October 27th at Edmonton. Now, they are 5-3-1 and one in that span, so things could be worse, but um, they're averaging under two goals a game since the end of October. Like, that's pretty shitty. Uh, Hayes is back. That's good. Little scare the other night. We'll see what happens with him, but he appears to be at least working his way back into the lineup. Certainly does not look healthy, but we'll we'll see how it works out. What can they do right now to fix the offense? Is this a line juggle, we'll see how it goes situation, or is this like an issue that can only be solved with outside help? I think the I'm lines so could be mad. Yes. The lines could be better, but I'm so mad that what was it, just last week when you were like, oh, the Flyers might have some scoring trouble. And all three of us were like, no, 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 they're all fine. And here we are. The Flyers have scoring trouble. Oops. I'm so mad about that. We tried. Mad about it. So what can they do? Well, they can uh, shoot the puck more. I don't know if anybody has ever told them that or if they've considered it. They were but doing it for a while. shooting the puck more is better than shooting the puck less. And that's what the computer boys say. So you know it's true. Is this true? You it tell is. me, Charles. Can confirm. Can confirm. Um, but in all seriousness, so no, they need to adjust that first power play. They need to, if we're talking five on five, they need to play around with those lines. Kevin Hayes is just coming back and he was gone, obviously, for a long time because he just is getting started with the season. So we need to give him just a little bit of time to get caught up and back into hockey form. And and that's probably just going to be a couple weeks, I think. But again, it was the core surgery. So do we know how quickly he'll bounce back? No. Yeah, I mean, watching Kevin Hayes his first couple games back, and like I said, he had that scare. I thought like, oh, that's it. He's out again. But I then, thought that was it. But then he played the uh, third period. He seems at least like he can, he can get through this. It, does it look like a couple of weeks for Kevin Hayes or man, he just he's playing all right, but just everything about him doesn't look healthy. I guess he I, I mean, just got to get back in to the swing. Yeah. That's what I think. He scored a goal. And and we may not see prime Kevin Hayes, but I, I think that he just needs to get back into the swing of hockey. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not terribly, I'm not terribly concerned about Kevin Hayes over okay. the long term. The short term, yeah, he's not going to be 100. percent Everyone, like, like somebody was freaking out in my mentions during the game. It was in the after the first period about Kevin Hayes looks like he's cooked, and I goes, I quote tweeted, I'm just like, dude, he had two surgeries in the last five months. Like, if if you thought that Kevin Hayes was going to jump back in and be awesome Kevin Hayes right from the jump, that's on you. That ain't on Kevin Hayes mm-hmm. because you had way too high expectations for this guy coming off of two surgeries. Like, of course he's going to look. And the thing with Kevin Hayes, too, and this is what I think people need to keep in mind, like, is he slower right now than he normally is because he's coming off of surgery? Yes. But here's the thing. Kevin Hayes always looks slow. Even when Kevin Hayes is skating fast, he looks slow because no. he just has that lumbering stride. So if, if you're going into a game with the the preconceived notion that Kevin Hayes is not at 100% and then you watch Kevin Hayes skate and you watch Kevin Hayes play, the confirmation bias is going to be so high because of course he's going to look slow because even when he's 100%, he looks slow, even when he's not skating slow. Yeah, like Kevin Hayes will be pulling away two strides ahead of a defender for a shorthanded breakaway, 
And he looks fucking slow as he's leaving someone in the dust behind. Like, so, like <laughs> exactly. he, still, he still looks slow doing that. He just doesn't look like a fast skater. Uh, but no, he just doesn't look healthy to me. I think he'll be fine. Um, do you think it's like something he has to play through to just get in shape? And, or should he like be sitting more? Because right no. away when I saw him, I was like, he probably needs to not be playing. No. But if he can no, get through no, it. No. No, you you play it. You play it. Okay. Maybe the only thing I can say is maybe, maybe, which they don't seem like they're gonna do, but maybe you use them as a fourth line center for a bit. Maybe or sit him in back to backs, maybe. Do I the don't load even know if I think I don't see I don't think see, I think that with him, right. it's gonna it's gonna help him to play more. I think okay. he needs to play himself back into game shape. He needs to play himself back into pit into hockey pace. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like that's my deal with him. So I don't think sitting him, I think maybe you you limit his minutes. If the effectiveness is a problem, but I think playing is the best thing for him because he needs to get back into rhythm and needs to get back into, you know, making plays at an NHL pace, which is hard when for him, this is game three tonight and everyone else is on like game 16 or 17. Like he's just, he's just behind. But I wouldn't have a problem with them using him as the fourth line center for a bit because that would serve the dual purposes of a easing him back into the lineup and B fixing a fourth line that you know has been pretty bad because i mean look i i I didn't i didn't hate the signing as a 13th forward but like nate thompson hasn't been good Mm -mm. um like he hasn't even been good defensively in terms of results which is sort of his thing um so if you want to like maybe remake that fourth line into something that can like you know create some offense when it's not Zach McEwen kind of doing it on his own on his own that would be great <laughs> Zach um, Mack for but, top six I mean no but like I think he's I think he's been the one useful cog on that fourth line and you know maybe get him some help um but if they want to keep using him as a second line center and just kind of let him play you know play through I'm fine with that it's not like Derek Broussard was doing that great by the end so no. it works yeah uh that's I mean like Derek Broussard Kind of looks like he needs to be the 4C in my mind, unless they use, yes. unless they use, uh, you know, Kevin Hayes in that role, which it doesn't look like they're going to. I want to bring up Morgan Frost real fast because I think he can help this offense, especially this power play, which we'll get to in a second. But um, Morgan Frost, in in the last eight games, he only has two with no points. In both of those games, he's minus three. He had another one on Wednesday night. Like... I get that he's just never going to be a great player, but he has to be able to help this offense, right? Like, his numbers are pretty damn good. He's got, I think, 11 points in 14 games now, 10 points in his last 10. Um, He's better than... He's better than... There's no way this power play would be worse if he was on it, right? And this is with the so, Phantoms being an abject disaster right now. Like the Phantoms yeah, I've are heard a disaster. The Lappy head coach experiment is not, going not as well going as great. the Lappy assistant head one, coach experiment. Am Who could have seen it coming? I mean, I don't I don't really understand the hesitation simply because things are going so poorly that the likelihood as Bill said that he makes it worse is very slim. So why not just pop him up here a couple of games, see what happens? If it's not great, send him back down. Like it's so. Not- here's here's the argument against calling him up because I, I Kelly, I I kind of disagree with the framing of things are going so poorly because they're really not. Things I mean, are going. Th- things 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 are going poorly 
from a goal scoring standpoint. But it's not like they're on a losing streak. It's no. not like they're like they're still winning games. They're still winning really more games than they're losing. And I, but so so what you're saying is things are going when you say things are going poorly, you're saying things are going poorly from a scoring standpoint. And perhaps Morgan Frost could help that from a scoring standpoint. That said, would he be able to help them win the games in terms of two-way play? That's more of a question. My understanding of more of the way Morgan Frost has played down there is that He's had some really good games. He's had some really bad games. And he's yes. gotten some points in games where he's played really bad on the whole. And I think they want to see him have a run of games in a row where he just plays really good all around hockey. And I'm not saying like they want him to be a defensive stalwart, but they want him to, you know, to drive play, to, to spend most of the game in the offensive zone, that kind of stuff. And I don't think he's done that on a consistent basis yet, even if the points are there, because to be quite honest with you, somebody's got to score points on that Phantoms team well, because they're not playing well. Here's the thing. Like, he would be replacing someone on the Flyers lineup that is, I think, inarguably a worse hockey player than Morgan Frost. And like, if they're waiting, like, I'm for- not really worried about taking Nate Thompson out of the lineup <laughs> because Morgan Frost doesn't play defense, and we really, really need Nate Thompson doing things. Like n- question mark? Yeah. So if he was take, if we were taking someone out of the lineup. That was actively contributing to the Flyers winning hockey games. I could see a, a bit of hesitation. But if you're taking out... My brain just went totally blank. If you're taking out <laughs> Nate Thompson and you're bumping down Broussard and you're putting Morgan Frost on the third line, like, uh, like wh- what's the downside? Like, Morgan Frost doesn't get back quick enough? Like, I-, I feel like they can weather that for a couple of games just to see what happens. Because we're winning games because of Carter Hart. Like, I think that's pretty clear. Like, that's why they're continuing to win games. They're going to have to figure out how to score goals because I don't think we can rely on Carter Hart being a 935 goaltender for any long stretch of time. Probably not. Yeah, well, I mean, it'd be cool if they could. Um, If he does, like, that would be really cool. (laughs) Yeah, I I just... It would be awesome to have the best goalie in the league, but, like, I'm skeptical that that's the case. Pretty cool. Um, I, I guess I'm not at the point where, like, I'm livid they haven't called up Morgan Frost. If they want to call up Morgan Frost, then fine. I mean, I, yeah, give him a shot. I'm not going to be opposed to it. Um, I'm just not at the point where I feel like they have. And I was somebody who said, who predicted that he was going to be up by the end of November. So um, if they do call him up, it makes me look smart. So, hey, Flyers, call up Morgan Frost. No. Um, but I'm in, I'm in no way livid that they haven't called him up. I'm just saying, no. like, the power play stinks. And if they're waiting for him to dominate, what if that's just never going to be him? Like, not every player in the NHL dominates in the AHL. Like, so, we're talking about depth scoring here. We're talking and about also, a guy to contribute a power play assist every now and then. And also, if the Phantoms, and I, this is all, like, third party for me because I don't go to Allentown and watch Phantoms games, but if the Phantoms are, in fact, as messy as people who do watch the Phantoms claim that they are, is Morgan Frost like ever going to show some kind of dominant two-way game in a system that's like an absolute disaster because the coach doesn't know what they're doing? Like probably that not. That is that is a fair point. That is absolutely a fair point in that like the Ian LaPerriere coach Lehigh Valley Phantoms at least at this early stage where he's very clearly kind of learning how to be a head coach at the professional level. 
maybe they're just not going to make players look good all around. Yeah. I mean, well, so here's here's the question that I have for you guys, because as I'm listening, I'm hearing you say, no, it's okay if a guy isn't good in the AHL, he might still be good in the NHL. And I am very concerned. No, not, point of not, not, not good. So. Not not good, just not dominant. Like he's yeah, like he a, just yeah. kind of he okay. kind of pops in goals yeah. because he's, he's talented, lot, yeah. but like he's okay. not going to control play. I, I, I don't need a bottom sixer right. to be the best player in the AHL. Which, by the way, Morgan Frost has been one of the best players in the NHL, like several or the AHL several times. So it's not like we haven't seen it from him before. But like, I don't need a bottom yeah. sixer to be the best player on the Phantoms. He's got one goal. Okay. He's got one right, goal. We're on the same page again. I was just concerned. He's got one goal and 10 assists in 14 games. And that one goal comes on like 27 shots. Something tells me he won't shoot like 3% for an extended <laughs> period not. of time. Like he's probably a little bit better than 3%. So like on a team, the Phantoms have one guy with double digit points through 14 games. His name is Morgan Frost. Like, Max Wilman is nine. That's cool. Something called Jerry Mayhew has eight. Like, <laughs> Ouch. That's all. Poor, poor Gerald. Uh, that's all well and good. Like, but these are, like, AHL guys. Maybe Morgan Frost fucking stinks. Maybe he's a bust. But, like, for a power play that looks so lost, they adding a guy who can handle and distribute the puck probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, in in fairness, I mean, I don't know if anything at this point is fixing the power play. Um, yes. at least with this this coaching direction. No, um, and we, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. Like, like How I don't. How long are we gonna let this go on? They're gonna let it go on because Vigneault trusts Tarion. I know that's what it boils down to. Vigneault trusts Tarion, and I don't like like the look. I get. I, I get why fans are really, really mad at Michelle Terry, and I get it. I get why, like, literally half my comments about an, on, on an article, like, half the comments in the comment section in an article about a, t- a game the team won had some variation of fire Michelle Terrian. But I really don't think they're going to fire an assistant coach midway through the season. No, and really, especially— so, 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 like, we kind of just have to accept the fact that, like— at least until the end of this year, unless they fired the entire coaching staff, I really don't think Terrian's going anywhere. I just don't French think Mike? it's going to. I just don't think it's French Mike. I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, we call him um, French Mike now. Thanks. That said, I, okay. Another point I want to make about this French Mike thing. This just shows me how few people read my articles because I had a French Mike reference in an article I wrote in late August about Daryl Williams, Did and you? no one noticed it until I tweeted about it. Yes, because I literally <laughs> read your articles, Charles. I, I, interviewed, I, not, I interviewed Elaine Vigno. <laughs> thanks, Steph. Appreciate it. Um, I I'm interviewed kidding, Elaine Vigno on the phone in August to interview him about Darrell Williams, and I had heard the French Mike thing him say like in passing, like you know off the record, just like kind of joking with us. So like wasn't something you sort of just throw in there, but. He said French Mike on the record to me on the phone, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm putting this in the article. Like, I think that's funny. But obviously, I'm not going to, like, center it because the article's on Daryl Williams, not on Michelle Terrian. But shows how few people read my articles because it only became a big thing on Twitter until I tweeted it. No, Charlie, I just don't retain information. Uh, like, any. That's it. That's not just it. the ones in your article. Any information. It. It's got, like, it cycles through in, like, 15 minutes and then it's gone. Gotcha. That's all I but got. Po- the, the overarching I've point I was making. i four lifetimes since August, so. Fair. Um, the overarching point I was making is that I just don't 
I'm at the point with the power play where like I think it I think the power play could be fixed. I don't know if this group can fix the power play. Um, if, which which so which we are stinks. just gonna have because yeah, I, I was gonna because I I, I, I do think they play? I mean look yeah I don't I don't know I mean I don't know Phew. what it just seems like they're they can't find the number one they can't find the right mix number two they change things so quickly that even if they did stumble onto the right mix they're not giving it a chance to show that it's the right mix I I am. I am very pessimistic of their ability to figure out this power play. And I don't know if I really am skeptical that adding Morgan Frost is going to be the, mm. the thing that allows them to solve the power play. Because if you can't solve it with Claude Giroux, I don't know how Morgan Frost is going to be the, the, the thing that, you know, sparks everything. If, uh, if Elaine Vigneault trusts Michel Therrien, then um, the decision should not be Elaine Vigneault's. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't own the fucking team. Like he doesn't do write wonder. anyone's check. Like, uh, like if the, if the power play is basement for the entire season, at any point does Chuck Fletcher pick up the phone and be like, "Hey, Alan, uh, what's going on? <laughs> hey, power Alan. play." Like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how you allow it with the players that they have. How you can allow it to go on like this for an entire season? It's embarrassing. I will say. I will say. Like. We talk about all the time they have the talent for this power play to work. I, do they? Because it hasn't they do, for Bill. Uh, it hasn't for quite some time. At a certain point, wouldn't a bunch of good players just start doing their job? I realize they have to do what the coach tells them, and like the coach is probably bad. But like Charlie but- tweeted the other day, which I really appreciated. The problem isn't all like Giroux on the right side. Giroux plays plenty no. of the left side, and they and still, still do not score. <laughs> no, I understand that, but the but there the are coaching, there are more. Yes, the strategy allows the other team, which is obviously a factor, to figure out how to kill the penalty every single time. They're not making it hard on the other team with the stupid dumps and chases, and the like. It, it's just not a good strategy and if the other team can figure out your strategy easily and figure out how to break it like the other team is good too is what i'm trying to say oh yeah it's not just the flyers players not executing they could do better sure but I, i i feel like what charlie said is true in this system is it ever going to get better i don't know something something that keeps coming up on post game I can't figure out the point of the power play. Like, what are they going for? What are they? What is their I, I ultimate tell. goal? Like, Giroux makes a sweet bounce pass to Couturier, and Couturier, fi- Couturier finds someone on the back door. Like, are we looking for that like high difficulty of a play every time, or it just won't work? Like, is Keith Yandel, who is a passer, blasting from the point? Like oh, so bad. the best possible. Like, what are they really going for on the power play? It doesn't seem like we talk about their strategy. Their strategy seems to be stand still and hope someone misses a blocked shot. Like mm-hmm. that seems to be the strategy at this point. I would love to know what their strategy is outside of score goals. Good. I mean, I'm assuming Charlie sees them execute the power play without an opposing team. I, I, I don't know, Charlie. Yeah, they, can you tell they, us what they're trying they, to do? They score sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's 
<laughs> no, I, I, will... I mean, I know, I know what they're trying to do. They they try to use motion. You know, they try to run set plays, and sometimes their set plays work. Where you know, is they this have motion? A, I mean, they the, the second power play unit actually moves around a lot. They do. The first power play, the first power play unit doesn't probably because um, Claude Giroux is best served just sort of just setting up in one spot. Um, but they they try. It's just not working. Like none of it is working. They they try those bank passes off the boards. They occasionally run those um, you know those uh off the set the off the face off a guy goes below the goal line and tries to pass. It's like one of those you know, bang bang plays. So they do have things they try. To me, the biggest problem, you know, and I, I know we harp on the um. You know, we harp on the, the you know, which side Drew's on a while. To me, the biggest problem over the last little stretch has been entries. Like, they can't even get in the zone, and that's bad. I mean, when you're dumping the puck in on power plays, you got a problem. Terrible. Because that's co- that's coaching. Like, you need to have better structure set up, you know, guys cutting across the ice to open up space. Like, you just need better entry strategies. And when, like, I think it was the, God, which game was it? I think it was the Carolina game. I think they had, like, I, I ended up going back and tracking their entry attempts on the power play. I think they had like 13 entry attempts. I think five of them just straight up failed. Like they got stopped at the line. And then I think out of the ones that didn't fail, I think only like two or three of them were carry-ins. The rest of them were dump-ins. And it's like, if you have a sub 50% controlled entry rate on the power play, when you have an extra guy, like look in a fucking mirror. Because this is on you. This isn't like the other team doing something amazing. This is you guys just executing terribly yeah it's been it's it's becoming hard to watch i've noticed at some points the return of the slingshot pass which i thought the entries were excellent uh, earlier in the season when they hadn't been using it at all there's just so many things wrong with this power play and yeah probably um it, it, probably it's not going to be able to get fixed and Probably adding Morgan Frost to it isn't going to do much because it'll just be another guy with some skill standing still waiting for someone else to make a play. But, like, uh, they have to try something, and it doesn't sound like they're going to fire the fucking guy in charge of it anytime soon. Uh, Let's move on to the defense now, unless anyone has anything else uh, about the offense. So, Ryan Ellis is hurt again. That was a fun game. Um, Yeah, goddammit. This is... They have to just let him get completely healthy next. Like, they can't allow this to continue to happen the entire season where he's back for a day or two. And, and, you know, bad bad shit happens. He could suffer in his next game back whenever it is a completely unrelated injury. But... Yeah, well, well, today they AV announced. I am not at practice because, despite the fact that I've been recording this podcast for an hour and a half, this is technically my day off. Um, <laughs> they uh, at, at practice today, AV apparently said that Ellis is out for four to six weeks, so that would put him out at the earliest until the middle of December, which we kind of knew because I reported two days ago that they placed him on long-term IR, which would have put him out until December 8th anyway. So we knew it was going to be at least until like the first couple weeks of December. So at minimum, he'd be out until like the middle of December. If they, if it's the long end of that, he would probably come back like midway through that California Disney on ice road trip. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Last time they told us he was day-to-day, and then he became week-to-week, and then he played a game, and now he's out for four to six weeks. So we'll see how this plays out. But I agree. They need to, you know, it's very clear that they need to give this guy as much time as possible because 
trying to get him back without him being 100% is not the right avenue. Like, I, I straight up asked Vino um, earlier this week if, if in retrospect they thought he was rushed back and Vino was like, no, I don't think so. But, like, I don't know how else you can interpret this. Like, he came I mean, back, he played one game, and got hurt again. Like, yeah. I get, I don't know if the Flyers rushed him back or if he rushed himself back because he was just frustrated of not being able to play. But, like, very clearly shouldn't have played that game if he can only play one game and then gets hurt again. Yeah, and it's it's very obvious. But in his absence, we have seen a uh, the second pair, which was much maligned uh, when they were first combined. Uh, but they've been pretty damn excellent over the last five to seven games. Uh, Ristolainen, since I have it since November 2nd, uh, Charlie and I were talking about this pre-show. He is it at five games. I remember noticing him look better against Arizona. Pittsburgh was just a bad game. But since the Washington game over the last five, I can think everybody, I believe everybody thinks Ristolainen's been awesome. Over the last seven games, Ristolainen has a 59 Corsi 4 percentage, 60% on the expected goals. He's added three assists. He's plus two. No penalty minutes. Uh, he had four minors in his first five games prior to this. He's got 12 shots on goal. He could use a few more of those, but he's showing off a little skill low in the zone. He's going to score a highlight goal or two at some point this season. And 33 hits over these last seven games. Uh, Sandheim's look great as well. The um, the possession numbers, expected goal, Corsi, all that's great. Only has three, assi- only has three assists uh, this season and only one in November, but I think everybody watching Travis Sandheim just thinks he looks more like himself, more aggressive, yeah, uh, more creative, just looks more like the guy who's going to start racking up a few points here and there, I think, in the near future. Uh, this defense, how are we feeling about it with Sandheim and Ristolainen? How's Braun and Provorov looking? Their, uh, their advanced numbers, the possession numbers don't look great. How are we feeling about this defense now that Ryan Ellis is going to be out for at least a month? I don't love it. I mean, the, look, the, uh, the, the San Iris Alina pair has been really good recently. And, I mean, they need it to be. <laughs> because if they don't have Ryan Ellis, they really need it to be. Um, I, I really don't love this Proveroff Braun pairing. I think it started out fine, which is to be expected. You know, like you have a guy like Proveroff who got off to a good start. He was feeling comfortable. And Braun's a solid player, but he's not a first pair defenseman. So what inevitably happened was Proveroff's game is starting to regress a bit. I think over the last week or so, he hasn't been that great. I know he scored. He finally scored a goal, but I I really didn't like his game on Tuesday. I thought he had quite a few turnovers. He looked very 2020-2021 Ivan Proveroff-ish. And it's scary because I do think so much of his—I think he really, really benefits from having a strong partner. And I think almost like his strong play with Braun to begin with was almost like residual confidence from playing with Ellis in the beginning of the year. And now that's kind of worn off, and now we're getting the Proveroff from last year who feels like he has to do everything— because his partner can't do that much. That scares me. Mm-hmm. They need the Sandheim versus Alina pair to keep playing well. And right now it is. So, hey, like if it keeps playing well, they could be okay. But my hopes are not especially high for this Proveroff Braun pair during the, the absence of Ryan Ellis. It, it scares me. Yeah, so I think we were talking about this in the Broad Street Hockey Slack the other day. When I look at the defense individually, I'm like, yeah. Okay, like that's that's fine. Provorov, Sandheim, even Ristolainen right now, Nick Sealer, and then whoever else they have. Um, like yeah, they're 
okay. But when I think about them together as a unit, I'm really concerned. I'm really concerned about the state of the defense, and I don't know what the solution is other than Festivus Miracle Ryan Ellis coming back. It's really frustrating that Chuck was able to make moves on defense that needed to be made to improve the absolutely hideous defense that the Flyers had before, and somehow that's not even working because we can't have nice things. Like, if Ryan Ellis was here and healthy, things would be fine. But he's not, and until he is, it's it's going to be, you know, crossing your fingers and hoping no one makes a giant fuck-up that leads to a goal. I think that's pretty much all we can hope for. Well, I think the big the thing news. here... What's the good news? There's no Andrew McDonald. That is a positive. no Robert Hayde. Those things that is true. a positive. Robert Hayde um, might be an upgrade over a... Nick Sealer, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, Nick, Nick's, like, Nick's, a li- Nick's a likable guy. I like him He's too. A guy. I like him too. Um, so I think to me, what the Flyers are going to have to do if they want to survive this run, you know, without Ryan Ellis, and who knows how long that's going to last, they really need the forwards to pick up the slack because mm-hmm. this is how this is how teams that don't have you know, exceptional blue line cores, this is how they make up for it. And it's by the forwards basically playing defense by offense, you know, having the puck in the offensive zone, forechecking another team to death. That's how you get by. Like, that's how you get by. And the forwards need to step up. And we've seen it in bits and pieces. I One thing I really, really liked about the Calgary game, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the Calgary, Calgary game, but I was, I was very encouraged by what I saw in the Calgary game. And one of the things I really liked about it was I liked the adjustments that they made in-game. I think at times this coaching staff has struggled to make in-game adjustments, not to the degree that like Dave Haxtall struggled to make in-game adjustments, but at times they've struggled to make in-game adjustments. I think it was one of the problems they ran into in the playoffs, um, you know, against the, the Habs and the Islanders especially. I like the fact that in the first period of that, of that Calgary game, they were really struggling with their forecheck because they were dumping pucks in and Jacob Markstrom was stopping them all and sending, sending Calgary right back up ice. They weren't recovering any of their dump-ins because they were soft dump-ins. They were going right behind the net and Markstrom was stopping them all. Starting in the second period, it was obvious. I mean, obviously no one's going to come out and say this, but it was obvious. They got in the locker room and Vino and the coaching staff was like, guys, we talked about this. Do not let him get to those pucks because every single dump-in pretty much after that was either hard rimmed around so it would go past the mid the, the middle of the trapezoid before Markstrom could even get out to get it or so soft that it would die in the corner they basically from the second period on took Jacob Markstrom out of the game from anything other than stopping the puck and from that point on the Flyers controlled play and I like that because this is going to always going to be a four check team and I like the fact that they found a way in game to get their forecheck working. And to me, that's going to be a big part of how they survive Ryan Ellis being out. If they survive Ryan Ellis being out and stay you know, competitive in the Metro is the forwards and the five-man unit needs to play more of a puck possession game because they're not like this defense isn't going to be incredible at breakouts without Ryan Ellis. That's something Ryan Ellis brings. They're not going to just like naturally transition from defense to offense as well without Ryan Ellis. So they're just going to need to be on offense more. They're going to need to have 
25, 30 second shifts in the offensive zone that then force the other team to just dump the puck out and change so then the Flyers can recover the puck and send it right back in and go right back on the attack. That's the way they're going to need to succeed. And that Calgary game showed me that maybe they're smart enough to adapt and be able to do it. Now, whether they continue to do that, we'll see. But that's the path. The path to surviving Ryan Ellis is the forwards and the forecheck controlling games, not by being this hyper-efficient breakout machine that I think the Flyers hoped they could have been with Ryan Ellis. And that's... uh... Like, I just, watching that game was really encouraging. Again, they only score two goals. But to look the way they looked in the first period, which was, oh man, they're never going to get anything going. And, you know, they got shut out by Calgary just two weeks ago. It just looked like they weren't going to be able to get the offense going. And then, as Charlie said, they adjusted and actually controlled the pace of the game against a team with a lot of really good fucking players. Like, uh, yeah. our, our our boy, future Flyer superstar Johnny Goudreau had 10 shots on goal. Like He looked amazing. He just was everywhere. And everywhere. Carter Hart stopped them all because he yep. is also a superstar. Um, I, I, I was really happy. I, I'm glad you brought up the Calgary game because it is one of the things that, like, gives me confidence that this team has we're constantly looking for signs. I know Elaine Vigneault has said, stop talking about next year. I'll stop talking about next year when I have reason to. Um, right you now. Last year? Yeah. What did I say you next mean year? last year? Yeah. Time's yes. fake. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Time's fake. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just didn't want people to be confused because that was like, I, I, I could tell it was just you like brain thinking faster than your voice but and uh yeah i'll stop talking about last year when i have reason to right now i'm looking for just okay how are they different and that was one of the ways i've been like okay they didn't let that kill them like not getting anything going in the first period didn't just destroy all their confidence they were able to overcome that make adjustments and then actually like take over a game against a really good team and of course carter hart being carter hart really helped i gotta tell you absolutely it hasn't been that many games, but if you're still watching this team and you have not been convinced that they are not the same team from last year, like, I literally don't know what to tell you. Like, it's abundantly clear this is not the same team from last season. They have like, shown come on. Come on. at least come on. a lot more, uh, just a lot more mental strength. I don't yes, know not collapsing. Like, yeah. The, goalie, the goalies are both playing well. Like, it's very clearly. No, no one looks like they want to literally melt into the ice and die because they hate their job so much. Like, it's not the same team as last year. They definitely seem more resilient and more yes. able to deal with, you know, misfortune than they were last year. Mm-hmm. That said, and I mean, look, I'm not going to say everything is goaltending, but it really helps yeah. when you have good goaltending yes. because there's nothing more demoralizing in hockey than you do good things for six, seven minutes, and then you make one mistake and it's in the back of your net. And then you do good things for another six or seven minutes, and then you make one mistake and it's in the back of your net. And having that stability back there with Carter Hart especially, but also Martin Jones has been you know, very good very in, good. in the bulk of his starts. Um, it, it just... I think it just helps a team's overall mentality and just general outlook on life. Yes. Because <laughs> you don't think that like everything is going to go to shit at a moment's notice. That is not that is not a fun way to live and it's certainly not a fun way to play hockey. Oh no, I mean we've seen this team react to the bad goaltending they've had over the years and we just know what it can do to you. Like you mm-hmm. just have no chance if you don't think you can get a stop. 
and they're getting a lot of them right now, and that's the reason for their success. But I do think there is a pathway for this team to be able to survive without Ellis. Charlie laid it all out. Uh, do we have anything else? How, how's everyone? How's everyone feeling? Are we, are I feel great, Bill. I feel great. It's a good show. I did want to talk about Oscar Lindblom for like twenty seconds. Yeah, he was scratched well, the other it is night. Hockey fights cancer night, right? Yeah. And so yeah, he better not be so scratched he... on hockey fight cancer. No, he, he's he's back. I, I mean, Patrick Brown's hurt, so. Oh, right, they literally, right. even if they didn't want to start Oscar Lindblom, they'd have to. Yeah. But I think they were always planning. They were always planning for that to be a one game and reset. I think they there said was as never much. Intention to scratch it for a while. They said as much on the broadcast. I feel like they were like, "This is a." They're calling it a one game reset for Limblom. Um I lo- I kind of liked a little bit of what I saw from that fourth line early, but apparently not enough for him to stay in the lineup. Uh, it's not like they sustained that uh, that strong play throughout the game. It was just a couple of shifts early on. But uh, right now, like ideally, when this team is what it's supposed to be and everyone's healthy, like Broussard, Limblom, McEwen sounds like a hell of a fourth line to me. I don't know about how everyone else feels, but uh, sounds pretty damn good to me. But what do you want to say about Limblom stuff? Uh, well, that I love him and he does not deserve to be scratched, but. If it's just a one-game reset, I'm not mad about it. Let him get his head straight, come back, and perform not at fourth-line duties because he deserves better than that. Oh, he'll have to play. Yeah. He'll have to play his way out. I, I mean, my my thing, I just don't like him on that fourth line because I don't... Yeah. I, I would rather... I would much rather Scott Lawton be on the fourth line, even though mm-hmm. I think Lawton is playing better than Limblom, just because I think Lawton is better suited stylistically to playing on the fourth line. Whereas Lim, like I see Limblom right now as a guy who number one, he's just he's just snake bit, and you know if you're snake bit, it's not exactly a great idea to put the snake bit guy on a line with the offensive black hole as Nate Thompson, because then you're really going to be snake bit. You're you're not going to score. Um, but also like I sort of see him as someone who you put on a line so they have the puck more. You put Oscar Limbaugh on a line so that they have the puck more in the offensive zone. And I like having that support guy on a line. Even if that support guy isn't scoring that much, I like having that support guy on a line with guys who can score. You know, because even if he's not scoring, those other guys will have more opportunities to score because they're on a line with a guy who makes it so you collect 55% of the expected goals rather than 45%. So I didn't like him down on the fourth line. I just it would be a different story. Like if if the fourth line center was was Scott Lawton, not Nate Thompson, I would be okay with him on the fourth line. But if you're gonna, it, it, as long as Nate Thompson is on your fourth line, your fourth line is an offensive black hole, and I don't want Oscar Limbaugh on an offensive black hole of a line. That that's my thing. We'll see what they do with the line combinations tonight. I I'd like to see him further up the lineup because I think that putting him on the fourth line is kind of a waste. Hey, Zach Mack. Offensive machine. Just saying. Hey, I He's mean, I'm a, I like I'm a Zach. Him. I'm a Zach Mack fan. I, I I really enjoyed interviewing him for the feature I did earlier this week, and I've he had a great game. I thought on Tuesday that he was fantastic. And Good. really, I mean, he should have he should have scored. He scored in the Carolina game, and he should have scored in the Dallas game. He did he score. Had goal I'm so mad. End. I'm so mad. That should have been a he, felony. Before before uh, before we wrap up here. The fact that they can overturn a goal and say a whistle should have been blown, even though the guy holding the fucking whistle did not blow it, he's holding it. That's a good point. The fact that they can overturn that 
and not overturn a whistle is the dumbest fucking rule in a in a sport filled with horrible <laughs> interpretations and terrible officiating. That might be the dumbest fucking rule on the books. I can Without watch question. any individual hockey games and point to 40 individual times where a whistle should have been blown and was not. That does not mean that each player scored 40 times. It just means that the refs are human and they're bad at doing their jobs. This should have been punishable by trial at the Hague because <laughs> there was absolutely no reason for them to wave off that goal after reviewing it, seeing their mistake, and then continuing to say no goal. There's just no excuse for that. There's absolutely no excuse for that. It's a dumb league. That's the excuse. That's All right. Uh, it's big time is, dumb. Is that it? Are we good? Yes. All right. I think so, we're good. So that. We've been doing this for two hours. I, I think we're good. So that <laughs> is all the time we have for you on PSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. Subscribe to the podcast. You know the whole deal. Search for Broad Street Hockey. Bang. Content, content, content. All right. That's it for me. My name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Charlie, for Steph. Have a great week, everybody.